Good morning. I have the privilege this morning of reading scripture. We'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. And I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible this morning. This is the inerrant and infallible word of Almighty God. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Rise up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, this was a desert road. And he rose up and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And as he was returning, he was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. As a sheep is led to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will recount his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you earnestly, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, uh, from, and began uh, from this scripture, he proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Good morning, church family. What a glad day. Baptism Sunday. The kingdom of heaven is growing among us. We get to celebrate that. The people getting wet. The new family center is open today. Praise God. Um, here's the thing. We, we just heard three amazing things from scripture that I want to um, highlight for us before this morning's baptisms. Most of us, I trust, can remember three things. Um, First thing, the Spirit of God compelled a disciple named Philip 
to do some things that made no earthly sense, uh, costly, inconvenient, uncomfortable things. That's the first thing, the leading of the Spirit of God. How many of you know the Spirit of God still leads God's people today? Secondly, Philip actually obeyed the Spirit's leading. He went where he was led. He spoke God's word as he was led. Uh, Philip didn't ignore the Spirit's leading. That's the second thing, obeying the Spirit of God. In other words, Philip didn't delay. He, he didn't allow himself to be so busy or so fearful or so skeptical that he missed the opportunity to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if there are some among us this morning who know all about this, this compulsion, you know, this unction, this leading of the Holy Spirit, but, but you've not yet responded. God has been calling you to repent and trust in Christ. What hinders you? God has been leading you to speak to so-and-so. He's been leading you to get rid of such and such sin in your life. Start doing this and that for the kingdom of God. What hinders you? But you delay, which is another way of saying you disobey. I know this because I've done it myself. So the question in the text, what prevents me? What hinders me is a good one for many among us, I think. What prevents you from being baptized, perhaps? You who profess Christ. What hinders you from heeding the leading of the Holy Spirit in that area of your life that has already come to mind? The third amazing thing, that's only two, the third amazing thing, the true miracle really, of course, is the new birth, the joy that comes from obedience to the Spirit's leading. Uh, in the case of the man from Africa, it is the joy of being born again. Uh, in, in the case of Philip, it is the joy of obedience to the leading of the Spirit of God being involved in what God is doing. When the Spirit of God uses the Word of God through another believer, Philip, a, a, a repentant sinner is brought to salvation. A private conversion is then declared publicly in baptism. That, that's why we're considering this passage this morning. Some of you are here thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought we were studying the book of Matthew and we're, we're only in Matthew 6 and it seems like it'll be, you know, three or four years before we finish that. Um, this is a wonderful Lord's Day in which we have the privilege of focusing on baptism. But I, but I want us to also think, you know, higher up in the bleachers, our own obedience to the leading of the Spirit of God. So we're going to just journey through this account of God growing his church in the book of Acts with those three things as our waypoints, the, the leading of the Spirit, obeying the Spirit, 
and the great joy that comes from obedience to God. And so let, let's just look at the first one then, God's leading. Verse 26, you with me? Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Luke has already told us in his record of the early church, the record that we call the book of Acts, he's told us that Philip was among the first deacons in the Jerusalem church. And as that church was being persecuted, how many of you know God doesn't waste persecution? As that church was being persecuted, its members scattered from Jerusalem to Samaria. Verse 5 of chapter 8 says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So, so the church is born then in Samaria. And, and great things are happening there. The kingdom of heaven is growing exerting its rule among many in Samaria as they turn to Christ as Savior and King. I wonder this morning, have you turned to Christ as Savior and King? But then all of a sudden, God calls Philip elsewhere. An angel of the Lord says to him, arise and go. And that, and that phrase, angel of the Lord, is used in various ways in Scripture. Maybe a, a literal angel uh, conveyed this message. Perhaps this message was conveyed in a, in a vision, if you will. What we, what we know for certain is that God the Holy Spirit conveyed a message to Philip, and Philip recognized the message. How do you suppose he would recognize the message? Because it was completely congruent with the Word of God. It was completely congruent with the word Jesus spoke when he said, hey, you guys stop fiddling around worrying about when the end of the age is. You shall be witnesses to me. Where? Jerusalem, Samaria. You see, you've read this before. <laughs> and so when Philip receives this, this, this unction, this compulsion of the spirit, it squares with the word of God. He knows it's not just him uh, you know, having a wild idea. This is the clear leading of the Spirit. And friends, why focus on this? Because we need to be attentive to it. This is how God is still saving people today. He puts a compulsion in you who know Jesus. And he says, when are you going to mention Jesus to so-and-so? You've been living next to him for eight years now. He tugs at the heart of one of his children like you and me, and the child of God hears and obeys that tug on the heart, the compulsion of the Spirit. And God works through the Spirit. God the Spirit, rather, works through the Word that is communicated to bring his saving grace to that other person. That's the first miracle I mentioned at the onset. God leads his people by the Spirit in tandem with the Word of God. You listening? Philip is a saved person. He himself is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And he has ordered his life according to the will of God so he is able to hear the Spirit's leading. It's no wonder then that the scriptures warn us 
What does what does Ephesians four say? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What does what does First uh, Thessalonians five say to us? Do not quench the Spirit. How many of you know sin in your life quenches the Spirit, grieves the Holy Spirit, plugs the ears, if you will, of the conscience to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Let's look at the second amazing thing I mentioned, and that is Philip's obedience. Obedience to the Spirit's leading. Verse 27. So Philip arose and went. Boy, there's a sermon right there, isn't there? Wow. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace or Kandake, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. (laughs) Don't miss this. The Holy Spirit is leading Philip to witness that the spirit has already been working in this man that Philip is sent to bear witness to. I wonder if more of us would make much of Jesus, not up here, but also here, speech. If we really believed, hey, if the Spirit's tugging at my heart to mention Jesus to so-and-so, I wonder if he's also tugging at, the, uh, at so-and-so's heart. That's what's happening here. I'm just spitballing here, but it seems to be that there's a pattern that we're seeing here in Scripture for the way God builds his church. And this man from Africa, he's got quite a resume. He's from um, um, the the southern reaches of the Nile River. He has great authority in in, in the court of of the queen of of his country. Um, He keeps the checkbook. I mean, that's kind of a big deal in government, isn't it? We're all hoping somebody's keeping the checkbook. Kandake was a title, like, like not a name, but a title, like, like Caesar was a title for, for the Romans or Pharaoh was a title for the Egyptians. So this fellow, he's, he's, he's a big deal. He's a high-ranking, powerful, wealthy official from that part of Africa that we think of as Sudan. Ethiopia is a Greek rendering of the Hebrew word Cush. It comes up again and again in Scripture. And Cush doesn't really correspond with what you're thinking in terms of Ethiopia right now, probably. This, this is the, the, the far southern reaches of the Nile River. I'm mentioning this just to make the point that this guy has come a long way to go to Jerusalem and then to return home. God intends to bring his gospel to Africa. How, how will that happen, I wonder? Well, it starts here with one man obeying the Spirit's leading to pursue another man who is heeding the Spirit's leading. It's all a work of God. Do you see how much is at stake in heeding the leading of the Spirit? The unmistakable, undeniable, clear compulsion of the Spirit to Philip was arise and go. And so he went. The unmistakable, undeniable, clear compulsion of the Spirit 
in this man from Africa uh, was arise and go. Go to Jerusalem. Go to the Hebrew scriptures. Go to where you've heard people learn about God. And so he has gone to Jerusalem seeking God. And because of the Hebrew influence in this part of the world, this man knows to seek God through the Hebrew scriptures and also through the the, the Hebrew people and their city, if you will. That's how an outsider would have looked at it. Jerusalem, the city of David. And he's wealthy enough to have his own handwritten copy of the scroll containing the words of the prophet Isaiah. That was very rare for a person to have such a thing. And in the ancient world, people typically read out loud. You and I would think that was odd. That's just how it was done then. And so it's not an unusual thing that Philip then heard this fellow reading from the word of God. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Now, I mean, there's... There's something handy for us to keep in mind when we... Anybody here want to bear witness for Jesus? We live in a land where people know all about things they've heard about the Bible. So, so it wouldn't be an unusual thing to be in a conversation with someone in which God would, would show us the opening. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you've heard? How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? You notice how the gospel is erasing the barrier that separates a sinner from God. And the gospel is erasing the barrier that separates people from one another. The Holy Spirit has already rendered irrelevant the fact that these two men are separated by race, they're separated by religion, and they're separated by their rank in society. And here's this fellow, Philip, a Jew, sitting in the chariot of an African man talking about Jesus. If, If that doesn't excite you, check your pulse. It's worse than you thought. This is why we're here. When God is at work, those things make no difference, do they? So why do they sometimes become hindrances, if you will, in our own sharing of Christ with others? Now think of this African man. He's rich. He's influential. He's well-educated enough to read the scriptures in a language that is not native to him. Uh, He's even seeking God through the people of God 
the Jews whose heritage is nothing less than the word of God himself, but there's something missing in his life. And you see, that's the issue with those who are religious but don't know Jesus. He still has this sense that there is this burden of sin that separates him from God. And so he's absolutely astounded to hear that his religion will not remove this burden. There's a fellow who was led like a a, a lamb to the slaughter to bear the sins of his people. Who is this man? He wants to know. Imagine his great joy when he reads in Isaiah of one who bears the sins of his people in their place. In fact, all of the sacrifices that he perhaps witnessed in Jerusalem from afar seem to be mere precursors to the sacrifice of this one who is led as a sheep to the slaughter. And so he asked Philip, who is this one spoken of in Isaiah? Is it the prophet himself or someone else? Who is this one led as a sheep to the slaughter? The one smitten by God, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities by whose stripes we are healed. In other words, who is this one through whom my sins might be forgiven? Now, I wonder, are there any among us today still wondering this very thing? Because you've come to a church. And maybe you've been coming to a church for some time. And yet you still have this sense that you are nonetheless separated from God. Your conscience testifies to this. And you've heard all about this one who was led like a sheep to the slaughter, a lamb to the slaughter. But you've not not yet come to him yourself. Are you yet to repent of your sin and trust in this Jesus who came into this world to live out the very holy life you were called to live and haven't lived? And then to go to that bloody cross and take upon himself the wrath of God for your sin. And to rise again on the third day in the very power of God, saying, hey, I'll I'll have you. I'll, I'll share that eternal life with you who trust in me. So I, again, I'm just spitballing here, but I think when Philip heard these questions, he spotted an opening, a gospel opening, right? Philip took the opportunity to share the good news, the gospel of God, reconciling sinners to himself through the work of his Messiah, our King, our Jesus. Amen? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, oh, can you imagine what else they must have talked about? Just beginning at that scripture, preached Jesus to him. There's another T 
hardship for us as we bear witness for our Lord. Asking the Lord to give us wisdom, to give us discernment, to be able to just start at a point in Scripture. And how many of you know the whole book is to do with Jesus? Philip begins from Isaiah 53, and he identifies the servant in the passage as the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Luke implies that Philip also goes on to other Old Testament passages to identify Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Savior. And so these two men ride along in this chariot that the Spirit of God, using the Word of God, spoken by another servant of God named Philip to regenerate this African man's heart. This is, this is the miracle of the new birth. A work of God, but a work of God through which he has chosen to involve his people. We don't know the details, but apparently the missing link for this particular God-fearer, this particular truth-seeker, was the link that Philip provided as he obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's not... Uh, unthinkable to to assume that Philip's message was the same as Peter's at Pentecost, which was what? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So as Philip proclaims the good news, the link is closed. Verse 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. There's your first fill-in-the-blanks, kids. (laughs) See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And that makes perfect sense because Philip would have mentioned baptism in his gospel proclamation. Who should be baptized? We need to know that today, don't we? Jesus commanded that baptism would be Uh, proclaimed in his name. Matthew 28, as you know, the words of our king, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So anyone paying attention to Jesus before his ascension to heaven Anyone paying attention to the apostles and others who proclaimed the good news would not have held baptism as a sort of add-on thing. I'm afraid people came up with that. Baptism is not an extra credit thing. It would have been impossible to explain the saving nature of the work of Jesus without saying that baptism is is a picture of the very thing a picture of Christ's work in saving sinners. You think of it this way, Jesus in his own baptism was identifying with sinners. He who knew no sin was made sin. And in a repentant sinner's baptism, that man, that woman, um, uh, people like Lisa and Michael and Jack in this service are identifying with Christ. Only the blood of Jesus removes sin. Not the waters in that tub, 
But here's the thing. The water is in that tub. It's actually a horse trough, but it's been souped up a bit. Don't you think? It's quite nice. But what a wonderful picture that is of what God alone does in the heart of a repentant sinner trusting in Christ. Are you hearing this? As they go down into the water, they do so with the awareness that Christ died for their sins and was buried and rose on the third day. And as they're raised up out of the water, we will not leave them under too long. As they're raised up out of the water, what, what a symbol that is, a picture that is of their own rising to a new life of allegiance to Christ. Why should we be baptized? This is a command given to all repentant sinners trusting in the work of Christ for them. So, so I say again, not, I'm not freelancing. This is, this is the, on the authority of Scripture, baptism is not the, the, the optional thing for Christians that our culture has made it to be. It simply isn't so. For the sake of clarity, let me give you something of a definition. Baptism is an outer public expression of something that has already happened within. Baptism proclaims saving faith in Christ. Now, now, why, why would I be so um, schoolmarmy about that? B- because I want there to be clarity about what the church is doing as it obeys the command of Jesus. So we've considered the leading of the Holy Spirit. How wonderful it is that God leads his people by the Spirit, in tandem with his word, always in, in um, congruence with the word of God. And, and, I, and I just wonder this morning, have you been so compelled? Has the word of God, in the hands of the Spirit of God, compelled you to move in a direction that you've not yet Moved it. I, I mean, for you, the, the scripture is saying, arise and go, and, and that means something to you in your conscience, and, you, and you've yet to do that, and you need to ask yourself, what hinders me? What prevents me? Last week, many of us were wrestling with this whole business of forgiving people who have sinned against us. I wonder if some of us need to still yet arise and go and make that relationship right. We're done with bouncing from church to church pretending we're on good terms with all of the people we've left in the rearview mirror. Do you mind if this is practical? I wonder, has the word of God in in the hands of the spirit of God made plain to you that there is some besetting sin in your life that is quenching the spirit, that is suppressing the spirit? And the good news, friend, is that your conscience is aware of that because you're a child of God. And you're meant to ask yourself this morning, what hinders me? What, What prevents me from obeying the leading of the spirit? Maybe the Spirit has compelled you to speak of Christ to that neighbor. And you're thinking, well, at some point, the Lord will send an evangelist. I've been praying for that. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Well, he's sent one. 
You, you, you live right next door. That coworker, that, that parent, that child who needs to hear of the saving power of Jesus' work for sinners, what, what hinders you? Wouldn't it be an ironic thing? This doesn't count against my time. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be an ironic thing if all of us in Kootenai County praying for a revival, wait for it, went and told somebody about Jesus that the Lord's already put on our heart, which the word seems to suggest the Spirit is already working in that other person? I don't know. What a joyless thing it is to quench the leading of the Spirit. I know, I know this from experience. So do many of you. But, but, you know, the opposite is true too. And this is the part where we're getting ready to do the baptisms. And so if you've got um, clothing to adjust, this would be the time. But, you know, we've considered the, 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 the believer's obedience to the Spirit. Philip went as led. Sp- Philip spoke as led. Uh, the eunuch sought God as led. The eunuch repented as led and trusted in Christ as led. This is all a work of God. This man wants to obey. Do you? Do you want to obey? Do, do you know the joy of obedience to God? Look at verse 36. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Note the word believe. That's another one of your blanks, kids. Um, What would hinder someone from being baptized? What what would prevent someone from being baptized? Or or we could say, who, who has the right to be baptized? None but those who believe from the heart in Jesus Christ. You are not baptized to become saved. Don't think that. You're baptized because you are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And that private transaction that has occurred is now proclaimed publicly in this wonderful picture that is baptism. If you believe with all your heart, you may, says Philip. Why the heart? I beg you to hear this. Why the heart? Because the head is not enough. You can believe all the doctrines of grace and yet be unsaved. You can can memorize all of the confessions and the creeds and recite all of the catechisms that, that organized religion has ever crafted, but none by themselves will save you. Jesus saves. Do you know Jesus? That's this is this is a matter of the heart. Don't take it from me. I'm always quoting these old dead guys, but here, here's, here's Charles Spurgeon. He says, Faith in Christ is never true unless it is the faith of the heart, unless the heart as well as the head gives assent to it, unless the truth is not only believed, but is also loved. You see, that's what's happened to this guy from Africa. Who is this one who bore my sin? And for love's sake, he sees water and he says, hey, you remember you telling me about baptism? There's some water. I'd like to declare my love for this Jesus. Verse 37, the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. 
And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. That's a separate sermon, isn't it? And, and he went on his way rejoicing. That, that's, that's, where, that, that's where I stopped. Um, notice, though, the prepositions. Went down into the water. Came up out of the water. Strongly suggestive of immersion, right? Immersion pictures the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. But let, let's just end with this before we celebrate What happens when the leading of the Spirit is met with obedience to the Spirit's leading? What's the culmination of this living in the Spirit, in other words? Well, there there is great joy. He went on his way rejoicing. The kingdom has grown. A sinner has been saved. And a continent is going to be reached for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the joy of obedience. Show me an obedient Christian and I'll show you a joyful Christian. Show me a Christian who's chasing joy apart from obedience and I'll show you one who's really frustrated. Just ask the man from Africa. He went on his way rejoicing. One disciple led by the Spirit Obeying the Spirit's leading. One sinner compelled by the Spirit. Seek God. Obedient in seeking God while he may be found, where he may be found. All of it culminating in great joy. It turns out, friends, this is how the Lord intends to reach Hayden, Idaho. This is how the Lord intends to reach Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Gospel proclamation, as we see earlier in Acts 8, for sure. But one person, led of the Spirit, going to another person with the Word of God who's been touched.